And uh, I'm so blessed to be able to be a part of uh, this weekend with you guys. I know that the Lord's word never returns void, and it always accomplishes exactly what it was set forth to accomplish. And I'm confident, knowing that truth, that every single one of us have received from God's Word. Whether here in the sessions, whether it was outside in our devotional time, or just ministering and talking amongst each other, the Lord is to be praised. Let's give the Lord just an awesome shout of praise and thank the Lord here. Thank you, Father. And Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, for what you have done. We thank you, God, that your spirit is moving. We thank you that we are leaving this place better men than we were when we came here. That we're fired up. That we've been given wisdom from your word and direction. Been reminded of timeless truths and been revealed, Lord, by your spirit. Lord, you've revealed new things to us in, in ways, Lord, that we're applying even now. And so, Lord, as this is our final session for this men's retreat, we ask that you would yet again move by the power of your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, we ask that again, Lord, we would be the men that you have created us to be. Help us, Lord, in every area of our manhood and what you have created us and called us to be. And, Lord, we praise you in advance for what you're going to do yet again in this time of studying your word. And we ask that you would add your blessing to it as we read it together, as we hear from you in Jesus' name. And all the men say, Amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, from our morning session, verse 12, Paul wrote and said, Take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. And this morning I mentioned that should cause every one of us to take a giant step back in that area of our lives that we would say, I'm good in that area. I don't need help in that area. Because we can fall into sin at any time. We need to watch ourselves. We need to take heed, especially if we think we stand. We better be standing in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God has called us as men to win the war against our flesh. He has empowered us with the necessary tools. He has given you and me the necessary tools to overcome our enemy. See, we're running our race to win. And that was one of the things that I was, when I was thinking about this, this conference, this retreat, it was the, that God had called us to win our race, that God has called us to do great things. And then when the Lord's on our side, who can be against us? Now, there's this old film, and I love it. It's called Chariots of Fire. Has anybody ever seen that film? Yeah, there, it's a great, uh, great classic movie. And if you haven't seen it, try to look it up. And if you can find it, that would be a great film. I think it might be on Netflix or whatever. But there is one of, the, one of the main characters is Harold Abrams. Harold Abrams is a sprinter. And he goes representing England. And he goes to the Olympics. And he races in his first race. And he loses. He he, he, he's shocked. He's demoralized. And if I remember correctly, he's seated in the stands uh, with his wife or his girlfriend. I forget, uh, you know, their status at that point. But, you know, she says in, in her British accent, you know, you were, you were marvelous. He was just more marvelous. That's all. And uh, the reason why I'm such a, a good uh, communicator of the British language, as you guys were, I know, impressed, uh, my wife's British. And so my wife, actually, my name's not Garrett Beeler. It's Garrett Bila. And uh, I've, I've heard, you know, the, 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 that firsthand. And in that movie, when she says, you know, you, you, you did a great job, he just did a better job. And Harold Abraham's is so upset, and this is what he says. He says, I don't run to take beatings. 
I don't run to take beatings because he runs to win. He doesn't run to lose. See, part of following the Lord and running in this race means repenting from sin. And instead of running towards sin, we're running away from sin. That's what repentance is all about. There are not a lot of churches today in America that will tell you that you need to repent from your sin. You need to turn 180 degrees in the opposite direction and pursue holiness. See, in this race, though, sometimes we're overtaken by temptation. As we are desiring to please the Lord and we're trying to go in the right direction, what happens is this. See, when you and I, when we were pursuing the things of the world, <clears throat> excuse me, guess who was pursuing us? The Holy Spirit, who had come to convict the world of sin and judgment and righteousness. And so when you came to the realization that you were a sinner and that you were doing things that were wrong and you needed to get your act together or you needed a new start in life or whatever the scenario was for you, that was the Holy Spirit pursuing you, drawing you to himself. And what you ended up doing is you repented And you turned in the opposite direction, and now you started pursuing after the things of the Lord. But now who is pursuing you? The enemy. The enemy at any moment would love to overtake you. He would love for you to slow down, to even park it on the side, or to turn around and go in the opposite direction again. That's why all of our old buddies who are still doing all the things that we would still be doing if we hadn't been born again or put our faith in Jesus are there with open arms saying, man, where have you been? Come on back, man. We saved your spot for you. You are welcome. Come back to the way that you used to live. Often we'll see temptation overtake us. And it feels so strong. And it makes us feel so weak against it. And that's exactly what it's supposed to do. To make you feel like you're weak, that you can't overcome it, that you have to give into it. And see, we feel like, well, if I just give in to it, then this temptation will go away. And really, that's what we want it to do. We would love for temptation just to go away. Because if temptation wasn't there, I wouldn't be tempted to go into sin, and life would be better. Because if it goes away, then my opportunity to slip into sin goes away with it. Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news at this uplifting conference that temptation never goes away. It never goes away. However... The way that you handle it can change. The way that you face it and deal with it changes. And in order for us to gain the wins instead of the losses, there are a few things that we need to understand. And this leads us to point number one today, which is this. Temptation is common. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to be looking at one whole verse in our afternoon session, and that's verse 13. Point number one is temptation is common. And it says there, verse 13, 1 Corinthians 10, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Now, I cannot focus on God and pleasing Him at the same time I'm focusing on fulfilling the lusts of my flesh. You just can't do it. Like, really stop and think about this. Can I really pursue the things of the Lord and the things of the world simultaneously? Can I focus on pleasing God and giving in to my lust of my, of my flesh at the same time? The answer is no. See, when I'm focused on the Lord, I don't want to give in to sin. When I'm in the Word of God and I'm in prayer and the Lord's changing my life and I'm seeing the blessings that are coming from walking closely with Him, I don't want to give in to sin. And and you know, quite frankly, if we're really honest with ourselves, it really takes the fun out of sin when I'm focusing on the Lord. 
That's just the way that it goes. However, the antithesis of that or the, uh, the flip side of that coin, the other side of that coin is that when I'm focusing on my sin or pursuing the things of the flesh, my desire to please the Lord seems to drift away. Remember in our last section how we studied, and you look at verse 6, where he says that the Israelites became an example for us that we might learn from their bad example of what not to do? Remember the Bible told us that the same group of people that were under the cloud, led by the pillar of fire, went through the sea, drank the spiritual drink, ate the spiritual food, who were all in the same boat. They displeased God. Why? Because they lusted after evil things. The way they thought and they felt and they acted. It was evil. It was evil. See, we've all sinned. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. The playing field is level for everyone. That's what Romans 3.23 tells us. We have not been faithful 100% of the time, but that doesn't mean that we stop trying. That we stop trying. It's a defeatist mentality to stop trying because we failed. Now, here's the way Satan works. He will tempt you to give in to sin and say, hey man, this is gonna feel so good. This is gonna be such a great experience. Don't you really want to do that? Look at all the other people that think it's okay and you can do it too and you'll be one of the guys or whatever it might be. And so you give in to that temptation, you give in to the sin, and then he goes, how could you give in to that sin? You terrible, worthless Christian and starts condemning you. And he plays both sides like that. And then what happens to us is we say, you're right. You know, I have failed again and I have blown it. I'm a terrible husband and I'm a terrible father. and I'm a terrible man and I'm a terrible follower of Jesus and God just doesn't love me anymore. And uh, Whatever it might be. And you can see how it spirals down. Well, if you failed, if you have failed, welcome to the club. We are glad to have you with us. We all have. Myself included. There is none righteous, no, not one. But Jesus didn't come to save the righteous. He came to save the sinners. And if you're here saying, I'm a sinner, I don't think God is interested in me. Or if you know people outside these walls when you go back and they think that God's not interested in them because they've sinned so much or they've been in this lifestyle or they've made these mistakes, then you share with them Mark 2.17 where Jesus said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek and to save that which was losing its battle to the lust of the flesh. That's us apart from Christ. It means he came for you and he came for me. Furthermore, he called you to follow him knowing every failure of your past and every failure of your future. Yet God is faithful. He's faithful to you. He knows that you're not perfect. He knows that you will fail. But you can be confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. If it was up to us to complete the work that God had started in us, we would be devastatedly disappointed. He completes the work which he started. So as we're focusing on God, we need to understand that the temptations that we face are common to mankind. What does this mean? Well, in some way, shape, or form, every person on the face of the earth is tempted in the same way. Every single man on the face of this earth is tempted in the same way. Often, and maybe you felt like this, I know I have on occasion, it's the ploy of the enemy 
to get you to think that you're the only one that struggles like that. You're the only one. You're the one with the special problem that's just so unlike everybody else. Like you see all of these guys in this room, you're the only one. You're the only one with that problem. That's what Satan would love for you to believe. No, temptations are common to man. So in one sense, that should relieve us a bit in knowing that truth. Okay, well, temptations are common and, you know, guys go through a lot of different things and, you know, it's experienced by our brothers around the world. So that should relieve us a little bit, but on the other hand, it should make, it, make us upset, a little angry. It made me upset. You might wonder, what do I mean by that? Well, it doesn't say that the temptation is a limited edition temptation, that it doesn't say that it's so hard to find, and it found you. No, it's common. Everywhere. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So we get overtaken and sometimes overrun by very common temptations? That's upsetting. Listen, Satan doesn't have anything new in his playbook. He does the same common thing every single time and we fall for it. Does it look good? Does it make me feel good? Does it make me look good? And you know those three things have been in place since the book of Genesis. Remember with Adam and Eve there in the garden. They looked at the fruit. Oh, it looked good. Will it make me feel good if I eat it? Yeah. And what will happen if I eat it? It'll make me look good because I will be wise like God and I will have this special attention and this special power. The good thing is, is that even when we're faithless, God is still faithful. And when the temptation comes, we know that that temptation is common, but God is faithful. As it says in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we're faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. His very nature is to be faithful to you, even when we're not. For those of you that have children, you might understand this a little bit more fully, and that when your children disobey or when your children do something, you don't put them up for adoption immediately. Maybe later on down the road, we'll see. Man, if they better play the cards right or whatever. No, he doesn't stop being my son. She doesn't stop being my daughter because she does something wrong. It actually breaks my heart when I see them do stuff that I know that it's dangerous or I know that it's going to hurt them or whatever. God's faithful to you as you're faithful to your kids. It's just a glimpse of your heavenly father. But see, all temptation is common. We don't get overrun by the special edition temptation. It's common. But point number two this afternoon is, but God is faithful. There's a powerful verse in 1 John 2.1. It says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have an advocate in Jesus. He is for us. He is for you. He knows that the wages of sin is death. That's why he came and died on the cross for you. That you might have a relationship with him. That you might be saved through faith in him. Because sin destroys us. I mean, there's nothing like being asked if you want the senior citizen's menu at Denny's when you're only 24. It's the worst experience known to man. Have you heard of the ugliest sin? Have you seen how people age when they're in sin? How they look way older than they really are? They've been using drugs or partying and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and they look twice their age. Sin takes a, sto- it takes a toll. They hit every branch on the way down, on the tree. See, in order... 
to have victory over our sin, we need to understand how God is faithful to us. His character is faithful and true. He promised to never leave you. He promised never to forsake you. He promised that when you're walking through your fiery trial, He is there with you. He is with you. He is faithful even in your most trying moments. He is faithful, get this, even to use temptations of the evil one for opportunity for great spiritual growth and empowerment. As I mentioned earlier, temptations don't go away, but how you handle them can change. Now, Pastor Matt shared a little bit about me and my background, but I'm going to tell you something that's very personal to me. The first year of my church plant, when we planted our church there in Irvine, after a little over nine years at Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, I thought I had seen it all. I thought I had you know, heard it all, experienced it all, from demon-possessed people to crazy situations. Uh, I had a, a live radio program for nine years. It was just, a, it was just a, a tremendous experience. I thought that I was very well prepared going into planting a church. The first year of my church plant, I got my clock cleaned. It was such an intense spiritual battle for me that I nearly quit after our first year of planting the church. It was such a clear spiritual attack that it was in four-month increments. The entire year of 2014, January 1st through December 31st, I had the worst year of my life. Four or five days before our very first Sunday in January of 2014, I was so sick I ended up going into the hospital. It just so happened that I had one of the most severe throat infections that I couldn't even speak. I was flat on my back and my fever was so high, my wife said I was having like hallucinations and talking, you know, like incoherently. And if you know anything about planting a church, you don't really want to miss your first Sunday that you're supposed to be there. And if you're a pastor, you kind of need to be able to talk. And I remember laying there in bed and the Lord just impressed it upon my heart, these things. And I I felt like the Lord told me, Garrett, stay committed to your devotion to me. Love your wife, take care of your kids, and I'll build my church. And I think that I needed to be flat on my back before I even started to understand or to begin to understand what God was calling me to do. So from January to April, I experienced anxiety like I had never experienced before. Some people wrestle with that regularly. Maybe you do and you know what that feels like. I never had. I would wake up and I would go to bed with severe anxiety. I was planting this church. I have a special needs daughter. My daughter has special needs and she needs leg braces in order to walk. And now my insurance was gone and I didn't have any, you know, uh, guaranteed income coming into the church. I didn't know how I was going to take care of my little girl and my family and provide for them and meanwhile pay the bills that needed to be paid for uh, at the church. I was like the hinge right between both of those things. And I worried about it constantly. And it made me ill. And it got to the point, and just a little bit of a background, our first service, we had 400 people at our church. And it was just this explosion. And honestly, it was a lot of hype and a lot of people that wanted to be there for the first day and all of that. By the time April rolled around, we had about 70 people. And my staff and me, like our volunteers and everyone were like, Our church is dying already. 
Well, at least we made it four months. Woo! You know, like, uh, I'm going, how can your church die that fast? It wasn't even alive yet, you know, like in that kind of thing. And you start wrestling with all of this. See, it was an inflated view of, of how many people were actually, you know, that was going to be their church. And so the looky-loos and the people that wanted to be there, just and also in good ways to help get it started and all that, they all began to go away. And so here we are with what would be the core group of our people. That severe anxiety transitioned immediately into an extreme fear of failure, that I was a failure. And that I tried to church plant and I was going to have to go with my head bowed and my tail tucked between my legs back to Costa Mesa and just say, is there like any positions as janitors or anything like, can I come back on staff and maybe do pastoral ministry or whatever because I failed. And it really was hard. I had a guy that was very close to me stab me in the back and say some terrible, horrible things that were so demeaning to me that it just jacked me. And so... That transitioned into the last third of the year and and literally wake up, go to bed last third of that year was just an extreme demoralization. And and I'm being honest with you because, number one, I don't lie. Number two, I'm a pastor, so we'll just have to take my word for it. Number three is that uh, the stories, hopefully this will help you. This was true. I felt that I was the worst pastor the worst leader, the worst husband, the worst father, and just outright the worst man on the face of this earth. I wasn't in habitual sin. I wasn't in unrepentant sin. I didn't even, I was like, Lord, please search me. I don't even know what I'm doing. I would go to bed with it and I would wake up with it and I would have terrible sleep for just, I couldn't shake it. It was like I was carrying this gorilla on my back everywhere and I started getting upset and I started getting down. And then finally, the Saturday night before what was supposed to be our very first Sunday of our second year, I told my wife, Ruth, I said, honey, I'm done. I don't know what to do. I don't think I can pastor this church. I don't think that I can be involved with this. Look at my last year. Guys, like I was imploding. I I was at the end. And this last third of the year, it was like anything that you felt that you had swag about, it was just depleted, gone. Anything that you felt that, yeah, you know, my kids think I'm cool or my wife really, you know, I had this perception that they looked at me differently. It was a spiritual attack because my wife still loved me and my children still loved me. There were still people coming to the church and there were still people that were getting blessed by the Lord. But I told Ruth, I said, honey, I can't teach tomorrow. I'm done. And it was 10 o'clock at night and I drove. Uh, I said, honey, I'm going to go for a drive. I'm going to roll my windows down and just get some fresh air and I need to pray to the Lord because I can't do this. It's been 365 days straight. I can't do this anymore. And I was crying out to God and I'm just praying like, Lord, help me. What? I don't even know what, what's happening. And I had this man that was in my life that was a godly man. He's an older man. He's in his mid-70s. And he had been a guy that was outside of my circle that I could always talk freely about stuff that happened in my circle without having any fear of anything. I could just be very open with him and he uh, would give me biblical counseling. And so I called him and, I, and after I finally could spit the words out and told him just briefly what I just shared with you, and I couldn't even talk. I was just like, I'm, I'm done. Like, I don't know what's going on. I can't take this anymore. 
And this is what he said to me, and he's a man of very few words. But when he spoke, he, he said things that meant something. After I poured out my heart to him, this is what he said. He said, and you know what? God is going to continue to allow this to happen to you until he has his perfect work accomplished in your life. I was like, what? God is going to allow all of these things that has happened to you He is going to continue to allow these things to happen to you until he has his perfect work accomplished in your life. No joke, immediately, I was instantly free. Instantly. It was like this revelation from the Lord that I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. That I was seeking the Lord. And that the Lord was actually using the worst time of my life and things that I thought were so beyond me and that were crushing me to death so that He might have His perfect work accomplished in me. How many times as a pastor have I taught, God is your provider. He'll take care of you. He'll take care of your family. He showed me who my provider was. When my daughter needs braces that cost $1,200 and I don't know how we're going to afford those things. When we need food and when we need to pay these bills and all this stuff, he showed me that he is the one that provides for me. When I segued into that fear of failure, God hasn't called me to lose. God hasn't called me to fail. He hasn't called me to fear because he has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And then how many times have I taught that your identity needs to be in Christ and I realize that it wasn't about the kind of leader I was or the pastor I was or the husband or the father. It was about who I was in Christ first and foremost, that that's where my value was and that's where my purpose would be found. So now, almost three, now four years into it, I've seen those same temptations come. Like, how are you going to pay for that? What if this flops? What if people don't like you? What if they're not going to get anything you know, out of what you're saying or whatever? I've seen that over the years where they come around and now I recognize what those things are. They're attacks from Satan. So temptation doesn't go away, but how we handle them by God's grace changes. We mature. We become stronger. We actually are able to recognize that we need Jesus in every area of our lives. There's a great pastor, writer, speaker. His name was Warren Wearsby. His name's Warren Wearsby. You probably have heard of him. But he said this, and I quote, Strength that knows itself to be strength is weakness. But weakness that knows itself to be weakness is strength. If you know that, oh, I'm strong, I'll never fall into sin, I can handle anything, you're weak. If you say, hey, I'm weak and I need God and I'm Lord, I need you and my weakness, there you will find that you are strong. So he is faithful even in our most trying moments. The things that used to lure you in are now powerless against you. You begin to recognize the temptations of Satan. You claim the victory that you have through faith in Jesus and you exercise your ability and freedom to say, no, I'm not doing that. No, I don't have to do that. I have been set free. And it says, and God is faithful, verse 13 again, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So no matter how terrible the temptation, as a follower of Jesus, listen to me guys, you will never be tested beyond your ability to destroy that temptation. 
Never, never. And this is one way that God shows his faithfulness to you. He is faithful to never allow you to be tested by something that is more powerful than you are. Never. So listen, every sin that we have ever given into is not only common, but it is weaker than we are. Doesn't that just bug you? You mean to tell me these are common temptations that are weaker than me and I give in to them? Do we understand that? That the temptations of Satan are common and they're weak and we fall for them often because we thought we would never fall for them. We believe the lie that we are weaker than they are. Lord, I know that I'm weak, but then I'm strong in you. Listen, you might feel defeated today because of your sin. That's a normal feeling for anyone that's given into temptation. However, as your brother in the Lord, you need to stop sulking and confess your sins and get back in the fight. You need to stop wallowing in the sin and the past mistakes that you've made and you need to confess those things to the Lord knowing that he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and get back in the game. And start winning and start leading and be the man that God has created you and called you to be because you are able to fight and you're able to win. And he says, no temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He would not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So he'll provide everything that you need when you need it. And you know that you're able to overcome it. God will work in your resources. He'll work in your state of mind. He'll work in your circumstances to make, you, to make you able to overcome your temptation. So again, verse 13, would you look at it again, please? It says, No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So point number one, temptation is common. Point number two, but God is faithful. And that leads us to point number three this afternoon is this, to make a way of escape. Now, I know right now you're just blown away by the creativity of the titles of my points. Uh, It's so nice when the Lord gives you everything you need right there in one verse. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Another way that God displays his faithfulness to you is that with every temptation, he gives you a way of escape that you might be able to endure it. Now, we, I've heard a million different views on this. But we all have a lot of different ideas about, you know, <laughs> when it comes to God creating a way of escape. Sometimes I think that we're in like a Star Trek movie and we think God's just going to beam us up like Scotty. No, that's the way of escape, right? There you are, and you're about to give into temptation, and you're wondering why you're not disappearing right now. Why am I still here in this environment? Oh boy, I'm being tempted right now. Lord, take me out of here. I'm ready. Beat me up. Get me out. Uh, No, your your way of escape actually doesn't normally work out like that. Actually, it, it does not work out like that. But Lord, you said that you'd make a way of escape for me. And the Lord says, yes, uh, I did say that in my word. And you see that vertical thing standing with a little circle on it? It's called a door. And you need to turn that handle and you need to walk out of it. You need to use it. You need to leave that situation. This is a door. Use it. 
I want you to listen to this very carefully. Every temptation that you will ever face has an exit door built into it. Every temptation that you will ever face, any tempting situation that you might find yourself in, has an escape hatch. It has an exit door. So God not only gives you the ability to overcome and the strategy to exit any temptation, but he also gives you the power to choose to act upon it. But you need to act. You need to decide. Uh, Now, just by show of hands, has anybody ever attended a gathering or party that they didn't want to go to? Maybe like a family reunion type of thing or something. You're like, oh man, I don't want to go to this. Maybe you had a corporate meeting, uh, you know, party and you're like, I got to show face and, you know, say hi to a couple key people and then I got to go. You know, I don't want to be here. So what do you do when you're in that situation? Well, I know what my wife and I do. If we have to go to something that we don't really necessarily want to go to, what do you end up doing? You start planning your exit strategy. Like, how do I make my way out of here? You know, you, you know who may want to stop you on your way out. It's, oh man, that guy's a talker. Well, let's go the other way or whatever it might be. Uh, you know which exits by the bathroom. Hey, I'm going to use the restroom real quick. I'll catch you guys later. And then you, you understand how that works. You plan your way out. This is the way it goes. For most people, we don't realize that temptation requires a subject. It requires a person in it. And see, we find ourselves getting into hot water when we don't exit our temptation, but we rather find ourselves lingering around in it. When temptation comes, man, you need to fly that coop. Don't wait and see what happens, because I'll tell you what happens. You know what's going to happen if you wait around to to see what happens. You're going to fall into sin, And even as you be looking for a way out of the awful party, you need to be looking for the nearest exit out of temptation. See, God's faithfulness to you as his son means that he will not allow you to be tested by something that is greater than you and he will not allow you to be tempted without giving you a way out. But you might say, but it's just too much for me. I'm too weak right now, or whatever it might be. Look at what it says at the end of verse 13 again. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You're able to bear it. What that means is, even in the Greek language, it talks about to bear by being underneath of it. To bear up a thing that was placed on your shoulders like you're doing, you know, like heavy squats or you're holding something like Atlas, you know, on your shoulder. Like you are able to do it. You're able to endure. I think it's high time for us as men of God to start realizing who we are in Christ. There's this old, oh man, I think it's, what is it called? It's an old cartoon. I can't remember the name of it, but my son was watching it and I thought, how... How interesting, how interesting this concept is. Basically, the premise of it is this old school cartoon. It's probably from the 1950s. And it was about a lion that was raised by sheep. And it was Lambert, the sheepish lion. And this massive male lion with his mane and everything was prancing through the fields like he was a sheep. You know, and he was acting just like a sheep. And then one day, this wolf came into their pasture and was going to pretty much eat and devour, 
kill Lambert's mom, his sheep mother. And there she is at the edge of the cliff, and this huge wolf was about to, you know, have her for lunch. And Lambert, the sheepish lion, he saw this, and it made him so upset that he let out this roar that melted the wolf's face off. I mean, literally, he just cowered down in fear and became like he was dead, and he ran off. We need to know who we are in Christ. We need to know the strength that we have through the power of of the Holy Spirit. We have the power to overcome. You are more powerful than your worst temptation because of the Holy Spirit that lives in you. You don't have to cower in fear. You don't have to live in addiction. You don't have to give in to temptation. Because the Lord is with you. He is your strength. He is your power. He's your present help in time of need. Know who you are in Christ. You can be like a lion prancing through the fields or are you going to rise up and say, no longer am I going to do this. I'm standing upon the victory that Jesus has given me when he died on the cross for me. And you let out that roar just like Lambert did and you scare the enemy off because the devil flees when you resist him. So you are able to bear it. And might I add, crush it. And again in verse 13, No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Fight for the prize. Win your race. You win your race. No one can run it for you. I can't. Your wife can't. Your friends can't. You need to. And so, as it's almost, it's 10 to 5 right now, we're wrapping up. We're concluding this weekend. It's flown by. Now is the time that I'm going to invite you to search your heart, to be honest with yourself. To not play around if you're playing around or play church or try to be, you know, Christian when you're around your Christian friends and then you're, you know, like your friends that are not Christians when you're around them. I'm talking about who you are in the secret place of your life. Is it a man that is filled with the Holy Spirit? Is it a man that is overcoming and having victory over temptation? Is it a man that knows who he is in Christ or are there hidden sins or are there things in your life that are impeding your progress? You might think, well, they're not hurting anybody. You know, it's not really affecting anybody. Listen, you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption, and there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It will get you. Before Cain became the very first murderer in the history of mankind, you know what happened? The Lord came to Cain and said, Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, know that sin lies at your door and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Sin is at your door. It's at my door. And its desire isn't just for one little area of my life or one area of your life. It wants to rule over you. But through the power of Jesus that's living inside of you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you rule over it. You're like Paul and you make sure that your body is subject to your spirit, not your spirit subject to your body. 
You learn from the examples, maybe from your own past, and you saw this doesn't work, or you see it in somebody else's life, and you're like, I want to learn from that, not do that. I want to learn from that. I will do that. What does the Bible tell me? How can I fight my fight better? Because when I was studying this again, and realizing that temptation is common, and it's weaker than me, and God is faithful, and it has an escape route built into it, I thought, what in the world is my problem? We need to know who we are in Christ. And so I'm going to ask that you guys would just close your eyes and bow your head. I'm going to invite Ben to come up uh, to the stage with the worship team, and we're going to pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you have done here. We thank you, Lord, that you have poured out your Spirit, and, Lord, that your Word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the innermost recesses of our heart. It's a discerner of our thoughts and our intentions. And Lord, I pray right now, God, that as your spirit has been moving at this retreat and as these men, Lord, have been brought here by you, whether they realize it or not, you brought them here. You provided the resources. You provided the transportation. You provided the lodging and the food. You provided all of these things, Lord, and we give you the glory for it. But you care about your sons that much. And I pray, Lord, that if there are some men here that do not know you personally as their Lord and Savior, they've never been born again, never put their faith in you. But they know that they have sinned and they know, Lord, that they have done things that are wrong and they need to get right with you, then I ask that they would man up and that today they would make that decision, Lord, to put their faith in you and have their sins forgiven. I pray, Lord, if there are some men here, Lord, that have walked away from you, Their heart is far from you. Maybe they draw close to you with their lips and they sing songs and they know where Bible verses are, but they've walked away from you. I pray, Lord, that if they're in habitual sin, that they would repent and turn from it and today they would rededicate their life to you. And so with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're here tonight and you have never put your faith in Jesus, maybe your parents were Christian, Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you've been attending church. It's part of your culture. You kind of feel weird if you don't go to church. But the rest of the week, you know, you're not living for the Lord. You need to be born again. That's not Christianese. Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born again. Made alive spiritually. That's how you get to heaven. That's how you have a relationship with God. And so with every eye closed and head bowed, if you're here this evening, whether you're in the front, middle, sides, back, and you've never given your life to the Lord and you would like to today, would you just raise your hand and say, yes, I'd like to give my life to the Lord today. And I'd like to lead you in a prayer. If there's anybody at all, just raise your hand so I can see it. Every eye closed, head bowed. Guys, just be praying right now for anyone that needs to make that commitment. Anybody else, just raise your hand. Right on, I see you over there too. Anybody else, just raise your hand. And also, if, if you're here and you might say, you know what, I've been going through the motions, but I've walked away, I've backslidden. I have things in my life that are just part of who I am and I know that they're against God. If that's you, repent from those things. Recommit your life to Jesus tonight. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, yes, Lord, you've spoken to my heart. I need to recommit my life to you and get back on track. Would you hold your hand up so that I can see it, that I might pray for you right now? Anybody else, just hold your hand up, please. You're doing business with God right now. Anybody else, just hold your hand up. I'm going to pray for you right now. Nobody's looking around. doesn't matter what people think. 
It's between you and God. Father, I pray for these men that have raised their hands. Some for the first time are giving their life to you and some, Lord, are recommitting their life to you. I pray, Lord, that you would meet them exactly where they're at. I pray, Lord, for those that didn't raise their hands, Lord, because maybe they feel embarrassed or maybe they think that, oh, people might think that I'm not who I appear to be or whatever. I pray, Lord, that even now you would just shut down the work of the enemy that would keep us trapped in our own pride and the fear of what man thinks. And if you raised your hand, and even if you didn't raise your hand, I'd like to lead you in a very simple prayer. If this is you and you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time, if this is you and you need to recommit your life to him because you've walked away, then would you just repeat this prayer after me and meet it in your heart and pray it with me and say, Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I have sinned, but I ask that you would forgive me of my sin and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you love me I thank you that you died on the cross for me. And I thank you that you have forgiven me of all my sin. Would you fill me with your love and your joy and your peace and give me your strength that I may be who you've created me to be. For I give you my life today. In Jesus' name. Amen. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you have done in that regard. Welcoming some sons back home. Welcoming some new ones into the family. And Lord, I just would like to take one additional opportunity to pray for those that might be struggling with something. They just see this as a constant battle. It's a temptation. It's a trial. Lord, maybe... Sometimes it gets the best of them. Maybe sometimes they get the best of it. But Lord, I just feel that we need to take just a brief moment to pray for those that might be dealing with something, Lord. Lord, we've had this address during the time of worship and talking about this and the songs that we have sung. And Lord, I pray right now for those that are hurting, those that are burdened, those that are concerned, Give them freedom and victory. May they know, Lord, that your perfect work is being accomplished in their lives and that even this is going to be used for your glory and for them to be more like you. And guys, if that's you today, would you just raise your hand and say, yes, that's me. I could use some prayer. I have some stuff going on in my life and I I, I need the Lord's touch in my life. Would you just raise your hand wherever you're at? We don't know what it is. God knows what it is. Anybody else, would you raise your hand? And what I'm going to ask you guys to do is, if you raise your hand, would you please hold it up so so that it's visible? And men, if you see somebody seated next to you that has his hand up, would you just go put your hand on his shoulder? We're going to pray for them right now. So if you're not raising your hand, find somebody that's raising his hand, and then would you just go and put your hand on his shoulder, and we're going to start to pray for our our brothers in the Lord right now. Keep your hand up, guys, so we can see it. We're going to have guys going to come and pray for you right now. Anybody else? We have some guys up here in the front too. We have a guy right here. Thank you. Anybody else? Okay, we got it. Good. Right now, men, in the privacy of your own heart, just start praying as the Lord would lead you. That the Lord would just give you wisdom and 
that word of wisdom to start praying for them right now. Father, we we pray for these brothers that have raised their hands. Lord, you know what they're going through. You know what's happening in their life. Lord, move by your Spirit. Soften their hearts. Remove the bitterness that the enemy wants them to hold on to and the hatred and the anger. Lord, they're questioning you and your love and your faithfulness because of their situation. And I pray, Lord, that you would show your faithfulness to them. That it would go beyond the natural, that it would be supernatural. It would be the power of your Spirit. They need you, Lord. Father, raise these men up to be leaders in their homes and in their communities, in their churches. Lord, move by your Spirit. May these men be like the men we read about in the Old Testament, David's mighty men that did great exploits in the name of the Lord. Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit to move now, Lord. Set those free that need freedom. Restore those marriages that are struggling. Those children that have walked away from you that don't know you, Lord, draw them to you. Those health issues, heal, Lord. And may even this, whatever it is, Lord, whatever the this is in our lives, may it be used for your glory. Father, we receive this touch from you now by your Spirit. And Lord, collectively, we confess our sins. Forgive us, Father. Help us to be the men, the husbands, the fathers, the leaders that you have called us and created us to be. And may it be for that purpose that we live our lives all the days that we're here on this earth. And may we hear when we breathe our last breath, well done, my son, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.